Voices people, I'm so glad to be back with you another night. We are in a brand new series called Green Pastures, which is simply just a look through Psalm 23. And the reason I'm so excited for this series is because Psalm 23 is one of, if not the most famous passage in all of Scripture. Like we could debate about it, we could go back and forth, but it is so widely accepted as being up there with some of the the, the greats of scriptural texts. But funny enough, Psalm 23 is a passage about sheep and shepherds. Like, that's kind of weird that one of the most famous passages in the Bible has to do with sheep and shepherds. And I wrestled with that this last week because you don't, maybe you don't know this, but I'm not an animal guy. Uh, I've never been an animal guy. I don't know if I ever will be an animal guy. But as a a kid growing up, I had a, a dog, dogs, I don't know. I was like late elementary school. We had a wiener dog, but it suffered from extreme anxiety. And so, yeah, it was great. It was so sad. Every time you left, it would like hide. And when you came back, it peed all over the place. And it would actually like self-harm in the kennel because he hated so bad being alone. It was so sad. So we gave him away. We gave him to an elderly couple who literally never left. So he never was alone. Like, isn't that kind of sweet? Right. But that was my first experience with a dog. So it's like, I feel like I'm a little traumatized. But then I, I, we have a dog now, and my mom got it for my brother when I was like a senior in high school, and I knew it was a bad idea. Like, I was like, we should not get another dog. The first experience was terrible, but they got this dog, and now I'm just like the fun uncle. So every time I pop in, he's like, great. But I hear all these stories about how he's pretty terrible. So I, all of that, and then my wife, she has always, always, always wanted a dog. She's always wanted a dog. There was a one-day experience in her childhood where her dad brought home a dog without asking the mom. like marriage advice for you. Always ask the spouse. But he brought home the dog and the next day the dog was gone. It went back to where they had gotten it because the mom made the return it. So my my wife's always wanted a dog, but I've never, ever, ever been an animal guy. Even at Trunk or Treat. Like at Trunk or Treat, we had a a ton of Oasis floats that were awesome. And one of them that won, they actually brought a live, live calf. It was less than 24 hours old, and it was in the back of the truck, and every time I walked by, they said, Brennan, come pet the calf. It's so cute. It, it was just laying there sleeping, and it was, it was kind of cute, but I was keeping my distance, and the people pleaser in me overrided my lack of desire to touch this disgusting cow, and, and, I, and I, I, I pet it to make them happy, but I've never been an animal guy, and so this really, really famous psalm that has its foundation laid in the idea of sheep and shepherds caused me to struggle over the last couple weeks. I had to work so hard to understand what the passage is talking about because we need to understand this analogy of God as the shepherd and us as the sheep. That if we want to get anything out of Psalm 23 over the next three weeks, we must embrace our roots of shepherd people. We have to to get into the mountains and picture the sheep and understand what it would be like to tend to the flock. Better yet, as we walk through the passage, we need to understand what it's like to be sheep. And despite the fact that I don't think, maybe I'd be surprised, but I don't think we got like a lot of pocket sheep lovers out there, but like, we're not like a ton of like obsessed with sheep people, yet this is one of the most famous passages 
in all of the Bible. Even if you wanted to whittle it down, you could easily say Psalm 23 is the most famous psalm. Like you want to rule out the other sections of the Old Testament or the New Testament, fine. Psalm 23 is easily the most famous psalm, and I can prove it to you because I Googled it. And when, you know, any scientific stuff, we, we Google. So we Googled it, and I read 10 articles. In 10 articles, every single one of them listed Psalm 23 as the most famous psalm. And that caused me to sit back. You know, there's not even a dispute. There wasn't even like a debate being put up between Psalm 23 or Psalm 1, like other amazing psalms. No, it was just clear. Psalm 23 is the best. It's the most famous. I sat back and I was wrestling with why. Why is it the best? And I came up with this example in my head, and I think it's going to be helpful to you. That we can all agree in here, I know we're all on the same page as this, is Jay Biebs makes the best secular music out there. I know there's some Swifties out there who are like, but Taylor broke the internet. Like, who cares? As a little blip in a, in a big picture, Justin Bieber is the goat of all secular music producers and makers. And so we are all on the same page there. I get that. Okay. But I sit back and we ask the question, why? Right? Why is Justin the best? And we can look at like his skills and his talent, the people has around him, the resources. There's all of these components that make him the best. And when we step back and we look at Psalm 23, we can wrestle with why is Psalm 23 the best? Why is it the most famous of all the Psalms? And the reason for that is Psalm 23 addresses most of our greatest needs and desires as people. Hear this list. Have you ever been worried about provision? Struggling if you're going to have enough, be provided for, meet your needs, have what you want, be able to provide for others. Have you ever worried about the direction of your life? Career, school, spouse, city, all of these future decisions that are coming upon us, have you ever worried about those? Do you ever get nervous that you'll miss it or that you'll mess it up? Have you ever worried about protection? Getting through something that's hard? Having people feel like they're against you? Having obstacles in your life? Feeling like you're in the valley and wondering if someone will provide and protect you? Have you ever worried about your eternal destiny? What happens after you die? What happens if you don't believe the things we talk about here at Oasis? What happens if the people in your life don't believe them? Have you ever wrestled with that? If these are the questions you've sometimes at one point in your life wrestled with, Psalm 23, it's got your answers. It's got your answers and more. And we're going to start just by reading verses 1 through 3. So if you have a Bible, open up to Psalm 23. And as you do that, I'm going to pray. Father, we thank you tonight for your word. We thank you for David who wrote it. We thank you for the spirit who will speak to us through it. We pray all that in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 23, a psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. A little background is there are seven different genres in the Bible. They're going to put a picture up on the screen, I believe. And here's, here's the different genres if you want to take a picture or write it down quickly. But Psalms, the book we just read for, Psalms is a book of poetry that it's composed of 115 different poems or songs written by influential people of this day. And, and they came together in Psalm 23, the one we're reading, is a psalm written by David. That it's a poem based on his life experience. And if we understand a little bit about psalms, we're recognizing that we're not reading a story, we're reading a poem, but now we need to understand a little bit about David. 
Because as the author, why he wrote it, how he wrote it, all the things that went into him writing it, they matter to us. So David, if you didn't know, he was arguably about the second greatest king ever to live. Jesus is number one. He's the king of kings. Shout out Jesus. But David, he's like number two. Like he crushed it. He was faithful and amazing. He loved the Lord. He was called the man after God's own heart. And don't get me wrong. He made some mistakes, like some really, really, really big mistakes. But in his repentance and in his love of God and the way that he turned and pursued the father, he was an amazing king. But that didn't happen on accident. David didn't just rise to the throne and become this amazing king. No, it started way back when. When he was the youngest of eight sons and the, the prophet came to choose a, a son to be the king and he looked at each and every son, one after another and after another and David being the youngest was out in the field not even called in for consideration. David was left out there to tend to the sheep. That as the youngest son, he got the job nobody else wanted. His brothers got all the things that were more prominent, more successful, more platformed. But David spent his childhood, a good section of his life, out in the mountains, doing the job nobody else wanted, banished to a place where he would live in obscurity among sheep. That, that place, doing the, the job, the thing nobody else wanted to do, while it was a slight, it was the very place David cultivated his inner life with God. It's the, the pastures where he spent the nights alone, sleeping under the stars, where he would write so many of these psalms, where he would sing them, when he would learn what it looked like to love God. And it's these same pastures that set the scene for Psalm 23. Verse 1, I'm going to read it to you again. It says, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. Here David is declaring two things. The first and most obvious is that the Lord is his shepherd. It is his shepherd, not a shepherd, his shepherd. It's so important for us to, to understand that and cling to that tonight, that David takes, uh, he, he, he owns the fact that God is his shepherd. For those of us that are like me that don't know anything about sheep or shepherds, a shepherd is simply someone who oversees a flock of sheep. The shepherd is responsible to care for the lives of the sheep. He has authority. He has uh, uh, the responsibility to make sure that every sheep is cared for. And so David is saying this this Lord, he is my shepherd. There's ownership there. At the same time, David is calling himself a sheep, which don't, don't get it confused, this is not a compliment. <laughs> that if you were going to be compared to any animal, I'm out there, I would love to be a zebra. I think that would be sick. I'd always loved zebras. But if you were going to be compared to any animal out there, sheep better be at the bottom of your list. <laughs> like, like, they're going to put a picture up. Would you throw that up for me? Like, it's, they're cute, right? You got the little lamb, you got the big one. It's like, oh, it's so fluffy. Like, they're, they're cute. But sheep, I know very little, but I know this. They are dumb, easily, distract, <laughs> easily distracted, and to be honest, a danger to themselves. Like, sheep are, are not what you would want to be, yet David says, I, I'm a sheep. That's what he's labeling himself as. And because I know nothing about sheep, over the last couple of weeks, I've been reading this book by a guy named W. Philip Keller. And he, he, the book is called A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. And Philip Keller, he was a guy who was actually a shepherd. He spent a portion of his life out in the fields, among the sheep, leading this flock. But eventually he would become a pastor. And when he became a pastor, he turned around and he wrote a book about Psalm 23 to help us, me specifically maybe, to preach a passage like this for someone who knows nothing about sheep. And while they are cute, he says this, sheep require more than any other class of livestock, endless attention and meticulous care. 
Later, he goes on to describe how sheep consistently make poor choices and almost, have almost no ability to survive without a shepherd. That's what he's describing sheep as with his experience. Go ahead and put up that second picture. Now this, we're probably like, oh, that is so cute. He rolled over. He probably wants like a belly scratch or something. No. What's actually happening here is a very, very dangerous situation. This is a cast sheep. And cast is a word to describe the condition it's in. That a sheep, like a tortoise, when it rolls over on its back, has no ability to get back upright. That it is actually stuck like this. <laughs> it's, it's funny, but if it's not flipped back over within a period of about 24 hours, it will die. The gases in its stomach will build up and it will cut off the oxygen supplied to its lungs and it could die simply by rolling over and being top-heavy. That's the animal David's like, yep, that's me. <laughs> that's the animal he says, oh, that's us. He calls us sheep. And while that's harsh, this concept's not foreign to David. David was a shepherd himself before writing this psalm. He was the one that when the sheep made the dumb decision and it left the flock and it went off and it got itself in danger, he was the one that chased it down. He was the one when it accidentally hit the pothole and rolled a little bit and ended up on its back, he was the one that flipped it over. Yet David calls himself a sheep as he describes the Lord as his shepherd. Now that we know a little bit about the, sh- the, the sheep, I want us to look more at the shepherd. David says the Lord is his shepherd. The Hebrew word there is Yehovah, translated Jehovah, or it can be translated God. And I want us to cling to that and understand that, that God is David's shepherd. The same God you and I can open up our Bibles and read about in the Old Testament. The same God who became flesh and came here on this earth to be Jesus for us, to die on a cross, that God is the one that David is saying, he is my shepherd. And while that's easy and it can be assumed or it feels too simple, it's so important for us because David is giving authority to this shepherd. Earlier I told you that a shepherd has all responsibility, autonomous control over the sheep. And so if you were to give someone your life, in your life, control over your life, who would it be? Who would it be? Who would it be the person if you had to leave this place, get on the phone, call them and say, hey, you are now going to make all my life decisions. You are going to tell me where I'm going to go. You're going to make my future plans. You, you are in control of my life. Who would you call? I'm sitting back thinking nobody, right? Like super nervous. But David says, that's God. He is my shepherd. Because God as shepherd has immense power and direction over the life of his sheep. David knows that his hand, his life is in the hands of the shepherd. He knows that he has given authority of his life over to the shepherd. And he does that because he knows God is trustworthy as a shepherd. That's the only reason. The same reason we sat back and we wondered, ooh, would I let them? Ah, probably not. I saw what they did that time in this time. Like, I see the way they, they managed their own life. And we probably, maybe, maybe you had someone, but maybe you didn't. David sits back and he says, the Lord is my shepherd because he's trustworthy. David and God, they had this relationship. Where throughout the Old Testament or, or the period of David's life, you can read about all the ways that God had provided for David and for the people of Israel. You can read about the experiences and, and, the, and the different things that God had done that proved himself to be trustworthy. We can look at his track record. And if you do, you will see he is faultless, blameless, and faithful to provide for his sheep. Jesus, when he came and was God in the flesh, he said this in John 10 that I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life 
for his sheep. The greatest evidence you will ever need that God is trustworthy to be a shepherd is the cross. David didn't even have that, right? Like, isn't that crazy? David said, you can have full authority of my life, but he didn't even know that all of that, what God would do for him. He didn't even know yet what God would, with the lengths and the extent to which God would provide for his sheep. But we do. We can sit back and say, Jesus literally gave his life so that we could live. That's the shepherd. He's asking us, begging us to give our lives. But yet, even though we know he's trustworthy, I'll still ask you the question, who's your shepherd? Who's your shepherd? Who leads you in life? Because we might sit back and think God is trustworthy. But unless we put a definitive statement to it, unless we put the stake in the ground and we say the Lord is our shepherd, someone else is going to step in and fill that gap. Unless we put the ownership on it like David does and say the Lord is my shepherd, something or someone else will come in and fill the void of leadership that is in our life. Too often I find that we are being led not by God, but by the people we follow. And I can mean that literally, like on the screen. If you were to open up your phone and look at the the people you follow, that they're feeding more about who you are and how you live than the father is. Or maybe it's not a, a TikTok influencer, or maybe it's not someone on Instagram or YouTube, but maybe for you it's not someone on a screen, but someone in your life. That you've given authority of your life to a parent, to a friend, to a significant other. And they are leading you in life. They are making your decisions for you. They are are being your shepherd. And I I probably would get along with most of the people you would give that authority to. They're probably incredible people. Even some of the people you're following, I'd probably put my stamp of approval on them and say that they are great, but they are not worthy to be your shepherd. God is the only one who was worthy to be followed as a shepherd. He is the only one. The second thing David says in Psalm 23.1 is he says he is completely content. The actual verse reads, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. As a sheep, he trusts the shepherd to provide for all of his needs. In God, David has everything he's ever needed. Everything he would ever need in life, David has in God. The same God we worship. But our struggle becomes when we sit back and think of the question, what do we really need? David says, I lack nothing. And we might sit here and say, we lack nothing. But do our feelings align with that statement of faith? We can sit back and say, I lack nothing. But our feelings are telling us, unless we get this, this, and this, we'll never feel satisfaction. We'll never feel fulfillment. We'll never feel purpose. We'll never feel like it's worth it. For you, it might be money. Unless your bank account hits a certain number and you can feel free of of worry and stress over financial decisions, then you'll feel satisfied. Maybe for you, it's status. It's the thing, if you don't get the job where people look at you and, and think highly of you, if you don't get the degree and you walk out of college or your graduate school or whatever, and, and unless you get that thing, unless you have that status marker, you won't feel fulfilled. Maybe it's success unless you have a job that others will celebrate you in, or unless you get the recognition you feel like you deserve, maybe you will never be content. Maybe for you it's family. 
This one's real and it's hard. Maybe for you, it's you'll never have the significant other or the spouse that you want. You'll never have the kids the way you thought you would. You'll never have picture family. And if that's the case, we can sit here and say, I lack nothing all we want. But if our feelings are leading us to this place, how do we truly answer the question, what do we really need? All of that is great. But most of that is a promise this world has given you that your father might not have. It's great. I hope that you get the job and the family and the success and the degree and you have a ton of fun and and fulfillment in this life. But if the father calls you to live more like Jesus or more like Paul or more of these New Testament people, but they didn't check a lot of those boxes, what would it take for you to be content? What would it take? How can you truly say and believe you lack nothing with God as your good shepherd? Speaking of Paul, in the New Testament, he found contentness. Philippians 4.13 is a really famous verse, right? I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. But most of us don't even understand the context in which Paul has spoken that, right? Paul is sitting in Philippians, or he's sitting there writing the letter of Philippians in a jail cell. He's writing this letter, not in a jail cell we currently think of our modern jail cell. No, a jail cell that's probably damp and dark and dirty and disgusting. A jail cell that's, that he's been locked in, he might be actually chained to the guard. He's sitting there penning this chapter, Philippians 4, talking about how he has learned the secret of contentment. In Philippians 4.13, he writes this, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Paul found the secret of contentment because he knew how to follow the shepherd. God is your shepherd. He will give you everything you truly need. But we must wrestle with the question, what do we really need? Psalm 23, verse 2. I mean, that was all verse 1, right? Like, that's kind of crazy. Psalm 23, verse 2. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. Here, both green pastures and quiet waters are symbols of provision for the sheep. That the sheep need these things to survive, but the shepherd, he will provide them. Yet I'm intrigued by the language of it. Right? He makes me lie down in green pastures. That if a sheep knows it needs green pastures, it knows it needs water, it knows it needs the, the nourishment of the grass, why is it forced to lay down there? In the place of greatest provision, why are they forced to rest there? It's because sheep, like us, have a tendency not to rest, but to be restless. That we have this tendency not to, to sit with God, but to go and chase all of these other things. Back to Philip Keller, that author who was shepherd turned pastor. He says there are four things a sheep needs before it can rest. That unless these needs are met, it is impossible for a sheep to lie down. And the first one is this, it's, fe- it's free of fear. That unless a sheep is free of fear, it will not rest. If a sheep senses any danger, whatsoever, it won't lie down. And we saw the cast sheep, but I could tell you a ton of other stories about sheep, how they are pretty much defenseless. Like they're useless in defending them own selves. There are stories of actually sheep having this uh, fear reaction where they will freeze and they will be eaten alive standing exactly where they were caught. Like this is the animal we're talking about. And they have all these different opposition, all these different predators that are coming against them. Like they have mountain lions and bears and, and coyotes and, 
and all of these different things that want to attack sheep. But unless they are 100% secure, they won't lie down. And in the same way, if we aren't 100% confident of God's protection in us, it'll be impossible for us to rest. Philip Keller, he talks about how when a sheep hears the rustling of what could be a predator, or they see something in the distance they might think is dangerous, they'll instantly put their head on a swivel starting to look for the shepherd. And when his sheep saw him standing in the field, they were able to continue to lie down. But only until they saw him and recognized his presence did they feel safe. And for us, I mean, there is constant things coming at us, constant struggle, constant things to fear. But when that happens, if we want rest, we have to recognize the presence of God, looking around with him as our good shepherd. Because the the leaves, they're going to rustle and the wind it's going to blow, and the stick's going to be stepped on, and and the next thing is right around the corner, and stress and anxiety and fear, it's going to build up, and we're constantly just looking for the next blow. What's the next thing that's going to happen that knocks us down? It's in those moments I tell you, rest. Look for God. Find his presence. Trust his perfection. Second, a sheep will not rest unless it is free from conflict. In a flock, there's a natural uh, pecking order, but in sheep, they don't actually call it a pecking order. They call it a butting order, which I think is kind of funny. B-U-T-T-I-N-G. Yep, that's silly. But they call it a butting order, and the reason they do that is because there's a hierarchy where they're constantly trying to, like, one-up one another to be the top sheep. And, and the reason they, the, how they do this is actually they will go up and they will headbutt the other sheep to try to assert, assert dominance. That if they want to subdue another sheep, they will come up and just headbutt it until it gives up. And what Philip is talking about here is he's talking about if two sheep are in conflict, one trying to get that next position of prestige, the next, next step up on the hierarchy, neither of them will lie down. Because when they lie down, they become vulnerable. And if they're vulnerable, that sheep will overtake it by headbutting it. And that same thing, while it's silly, it applies to us. In the same way, we won't rest until we find peace in our relationship. Sometimes I see it in conflicts between friends or family. That you know there's someone out there who's mad at you where you're mad at someone else and so your head hits the pillow and you try to rest. But all you can think about is the fact that that person is out there mad at you. Maybe that's why Jesus told us, don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. Otherwise, maybe we don't see it in friends and family, but we we see it in competition just like sheeps all the time. That as humans, we have a, a flawed perception that somehow success is a scarce resource. It's almost like success is a piece of uh, as a pie, and if someone else gets a larger portion, the chances that we succeed are actually less, when that's not at all true. And so we go to sleep, and we're trying to get some rest, but we know that other person is out there. They're grinding. They're taking ground. They're still working. They're still cultivating relationships. They're still getting better at their craft. They're still taking new territory. That person is forming new relationships with new ground, with new people. And we're trying to rest, but we're intimidated by their success. And so unless we find peace and contentment in the shepherd, we'll never rest. Until a sheep is free from conflict, it won't lie down. The third thing is a sheep must be free of annoyance in order for it to rest. Sheep can be driven mad by pests like flies and ticks. That what will happen is they will get in their ears and their nose. And so a sheep will actually start like stomping around, shaking its head. It's probably not exactly like that, but something similar. Like shaking its head, trying in vain to get the, the relief from these pests. 
It's like this constant annoyance of something right around its face trying to burrow into it. And the the sheep, it won't lie down until it's relieved from the pain. For us, in the same way, we won't be able to rest unless we deal with the daily annoyances of life. If anybody's ever had struggle sleeping, my greatest issue is when I lie down, it's usually not the big things that overwhelm me. It's not the huge decisions or anything like that. It's the thousand little things that buzz around my head constantly that I can't find rest. It's what am I going to eat in the the morning? What am I going to wear in the morning? How am I going to get to work? What time am I going to get to work? What's the first project am I going to work on? What kind of coffee am I going to get? Am I going to have enough food to eat tomorrow? Do I have to do laundry? Is there a homework assignment due? It's a thousand little things that constantly buzz around my head and all of a sudden rest has eluded me. And it's in that place where we have to learn that God doesn't just care about these big things. He wants to provide for you in the daily nuance of life. Philip Keller describes how a shepherd will go through all of the tasks of applying oil and ointment to the sheep to protect it from the flies. In the same way, your father will protect you and provide for you in every single aspect of life. The fourth and final one is a sheep will not lie down unless it is free from hunger. This is where the green pastures come back around. That unless a sheep is full, it will not rest. It will wander around unendlessly, continuously trying to find that next batch of grass. It's funny because in Bethlehem, where this story was, was taking place that David is writing, it's actually a very arid climate. So there isn't much green grass to go around. So you can imagine the sheep when it's hungry, how hard and how far it will have to search to find its nourishment. Yet David has consistently described this good shepherd who will provide for his sheep. So the secret for us is contentment. Contentment is key to rest. There will always be more for you to do, always more for you to achieve, more, always more for you to reach, to get. The second half of verse 2 says, he leads me beside quiet waters. I love that word quiet there because it's not just water. We know the sheep need water, but he leads them beside quiet water. The reason I'm always drawn to that is I feel we live in a a world of constant noise. Everywhere we go from classrooms to dorm rooms to apartments to houses to workplaces, it's just constant noise, either self-induced or given by other people. Yet God's presence has promised us peace, quiet water. The Lord in his kindness not only leads you to the place that is free from fear, conflict, annoyance, and hunger, but this place is specifically tailored for you to rest. The place is his presence. Follow the shepherd. Does anybody need rest tonight? Follow the shepherd. The green pastures and the quiet waters, they culminate in the first half of verse 23, or verse, first half of Psalm 23, verse 3, where it says, he refreshes my soul. I had a great story here, but I've got no time to tell it, so maybe you'll find it on YouTube when we do a going deeper this week. But I see us as people, I feel it as your pastor, that sometimes our souls are dying of thirst. We are longing so bad Yet the Lord has exactly what we need to be refreshed. John 6, 35, Jesus declares, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Jesus also says in John 4 that he has living water. 
Water that if you come to him and you drink of it, you will never be thirsty again. Does anybody need refreshing? Jesus has your rest. Psalm 23, 3 finishes and he says, he guides me along the right path for his name's sake. At this age, we have a lot of questions that we're wrestling with, a lot of decisions that we have to make. And they're not just like minor things like, um, what are we going to eat and those things? Everybody makes those decisions. A lot of us, we're making decisions like, what major are we going to have that's going to dictate what we do for the rest of our lives? Like, who gave that responsibility to 17 and 18-year-olds? I don't know. But we're making decisions like, what cities do we want to live in? Like, am I going to live on the East Coast, the West Coast? Am I going back home? Am I staying in Brooklyn? Like, huge decisions. Who am I going to marry? Oof. Lifelong commitment. Life-altering decisions are being made. And so the question we wrestle with is, what is the right path? And to that, David gives us the answer. He says, the right path is following the shepherd. Sheep are rarely, if ever, concerned about where the shepherd's taking them. They just trust them. That's who sheep are. That's what they do. And if you cling to that same promise, the text says, he will guide you along the right path. We put so much pressure on ourselves to get it right. To choose the right job, the right career, the right person. And those are weighty decisions. But I love when we look at the translation from the ESV to the NIV of the Bible. And the word right there, it changes depending on which one you're reading. That the NIV, the one I've been reading you tonight, the one we typically read here, the word right there translates more as correct. That is if from point A to point B, there is a correct path for you to go on the right job, the correct job, that the Lord will guide you in his kindness to that which is right. The ESV translates it a little differently, and they say the word righteous. It says the Lord will lead you down paths of righteousness. And that gives us a slightly different meaning for what the text is saying. That maybe it matters a little bit less about how we get from point A to point B, and more about who we become between point A and point B. Let me ask you this question. Does God care if you are going to be a dentist or a doctor? Maybe. Does God care if you teach history or math? Maybe. Does God care if you work at a bank in Brookings or Sioux Falls or the East Coast or the West Coast? Maybe. But does God care if you love him? And love those around you. Abs. Without a doubt. And we become so obsessed with making the right decision when God longs for us to make the righteous. Follow him. Trust him. Follow the good shepherd. Finally, he says, we do all of this his name's sake. 1 Peter 2.9 says, you are God's chosen people his special possession, that we are God's. So our success, our failure reflects the shepherd. Imagine you came across a flock of sheep who were beaten and battered and and skinny and starving. What would you think about that shepherd? And so we as God's sheep, his flock, he cares so deeply about how we are. He cares about the condition of our hearts and our lives because we reflect him as the shepherd. I'll invite the team up. God prides himself on caring for Bach. He is a good shepherd. He is faithful and he will provide in every single one of your needs.
So my prayer is tonight in this series that we would leave this place following the shepherd, trusting in his provision, trusting in his protection. I want to read for you Psalm 23, verse 1 through 3, one last time. Then we're going to pray. Psalm 23, verse 1 through 3. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. If you're getting baptized, I'll invite you to go ahead and take off. Um, But you've heard, you see, we're doing baptisms tonight. And there's a couple of people. We had five Sunday morning, which was amazing. It was so awesome to see all that God has been doing in people's lives. We've got a couple tonight, and I'm so, so stoked for those people who have made that decision. But I want to leave this option open to you, that if you, through tonight, through the next couple of minutes, or through this last week, have been wrestling with baptism, and you've been trying to make a decision, and you feel like God is leading you, but you just haven't been able to take that step of faith, or you haven't exactly taken that leap yet, I'll invite you to come and be baptized tonight. Acts 2.38, the people ask Peter, what must we do to be saved? And he says, repent and be baptized. That I love the class that we have. I love the videos that we shoot. I love the organization of it and that everybody gets a t-shirt. But the beauty of baptism is it's this reaction. It's this decision that we make out of a decision to follow Jesus. So if you've decided to follow Jesus, but you've never been baptized, the the tank is open for you tonight. If that's you, I'm going to invite you to meet me just right outside this, um, the worship center in this hallway. And we're going to do baptisms in a couple seconds, a couple minutes, but I will pray in this moment. Father, thank you tonight for the chance to step into your presence, the chance to worship you, the chance to walk with you. I thank you that you are the good shepherd and you provide for your sheep. And I pray, God, that you would just lead us as your people into the, the green pastures, into the quiet waters, that you would help us to feel the refreshment of our souls that, you're, that comes from your presence. Father, we love you and we thank you for Jesus and his example as the good shepherd where he gave his life on the cross. We pray that you would help us by your spirit to follow you in each and every way. We pray that all in Jesus' name. Amen.